0: Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. When I was younger, uh, I I showed an interest pretty early on in making movies and writing. I took video classes all the way through high school, and I still love video production. And my mom loves movies. Like, I think that's probably a source of why I was so into movies is my mom expresses love and connection to people through movies. You may not believe me. Hang out with my mother. She will talk to you about movies, and when she discovered that I had an interest in filmmaking, she jumped on that. She would give me these tips that she had learned from watching documentaries and reading books about Hollywood, and she told me about one famous director who would keep this notebook on his bedside table so that when he woke up, with any wild dream that he might have, he would make note of it and write down the dream, so that perhaps some of those ideas that he had in his dreams would turn into some kind of great story. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good idea. In fact, professor and psychologist Dr. Ru- Dr. Ruben Naiman says dreaming bestows significant benefits on our health, especially our mental health. And it makes sense for all of us to establish and deepen our relationships with our own dream process. And journaling is an exceptional way of doing so. Now, I, I never dreamed up the next Star Wars or ET or anything like that. I was never actually disciplined enough to keep the dream journal, but I admire people who do and who participate in this practice. Many famous writers keep dream journals. But the reality is those dreams that you may have or that those artists may have probably didn't just you know, come out as fully formed stories and ideas. Maybe they had a moment of inspiration, but, but then there was this commitment to see the dream through. Now we've been talking about dreams, and we've been talking about mystical encounters with God. We've seen that, that it seems like God really does bump in to us, that God can, when we open our eyes, reveal God's self to us in beauty and in moments, glimpses of the transcendent. Just this week, I was in a meeting with our diaconate, and we all shared moments when we saw God at work in our lives. It was beautiful. God bumps into us in ways that we serve, in nature, in the mundane, in the majestic, in advocacy, in the eyes of other people, even in dreams. God shows God's self to us in the person of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit that falls on all people, as we read in Acts chapter 2 about the church. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions. your old men shall dream, dream. So today we're going to look at another one of these encounters in the Bible where God shows up to somebody in a dream. But this time we're not just going to look at the encounter itself, but we also want to talk about what comes next. And so we're turning to the book of 1 Kings in the Hebrew Scriptures, 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're starting in verse 1. This is 1 Kings 3, verses 1 through 4. Solomon, King Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, except that he sacrificed and offered incense in the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So welcome to this story of King Solomon, as we've been a little bit introduced as well to Solomon. He's the the son of the king David, this king of Israel. And this story, where we get into it, is about the beginning of his reign. It's a bit of his origin story. He's young. And normally we jump to this prayer for wisdom, but I wanted to start with verses 1 through 4 of this story because the writer wants us to get a glimpse of who Solomon is, and it's important for us. So as we try to orient ourselves to this story, uh, we should know that the the book of 1 Kings was finally written down and compiled much later than the history that it's describing. It was written down during the time of Exile. So the nation that David and Solomon had helped to build, the nation of Israel, had been totally toppled. The temple crushed, and many of the people of Israel were taken away from their homeland and were living in Babylon, the home of their captors. These are the first who would have been reading the book of 1 Kings. People now pulled out of their homeland and exposed to a new way of living, A new culture, a new faith all around them, and so they tried to preserve their stories and tried to remember who they are and where they came from, and Kings helps us get that picture. But right from the start, our picture of Solomon is not the most positive one. We see that he married into the Egyptian royal family. This was a common practice of nations, they would build security for their state by uniting with another, stronger power. It was also a practice that was spoken against in the Hebrew Bible. See, because generally, when people who are supposed to be following God get cozy to power and control, they're likely then to follow power and control instead of God. See, this text wants us to see from the very beginning, that Solomon is making this arrangement. It doesn't even focus on marrying the particular woman, but the connection to the father-in-law Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And you know who Egypt is to the people of Israel, the people who had enslaved them before, the empire. The things Israel is not to be. See, Solomon from the beginning shows a desire to orient himself towards being the best, the most successful and influential, rather than being the most faithful. That would never describe us, would Would it? Our culture, would it? Our desire. See, Solomon chooses to put trust not in the promises of God, but in the security of a powerful leader and, and being able to win. We are tempted to do the same. So we get not a great start here for Solomon, In fact, we learn that, yes, he's building a temple for God, good, but he's going to do that after he finishes his own pretty lavish house. (laughs) And because there is no temple, people are sacrificing on the high places. These are the old places of sacrifice people had used for other expressions and worships of other gods. And the reader here should be a little concerned about Solomon. We should be asking, will Solomon walk in the ways of King David, or in the ways of his new father-in-law, Pharaoh. Now, I'll admit, the books of First and Second Kings are not my favorite books. <laughs> Often you'll hear me say, oh, this is one of my favorite passages. I have a lot of favorites. This is not one of them. <laughs> I read about David and Solomon, and I think, yes, David was after God's own heart, writer of psalms and prayers. But he was also... A mess, an abuser, a murderer. Solomon is wise, but also a fool. Attention's hard to wrestle with. I mean, there's there's beauty and help in seeing how God can work, not just because of great people, but actually in spite of deeply flawed people. We are all flawed, but beautiful and complicated and bearing the image of God. I think if we're careful as we read these stories of these kings, we see them as propaganda for the kings and miss their flaws, but, but the writer wants us to see some of these flaws. We should be worried about Solomon. <laughs> and yet even with these questionable choices, God bumps in to him. I want to read 1 Kings 3, 4. Through 9, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, what should, well, ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and an upright heart towards you. You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on this throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of a people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they can't be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil for who can govern this great people of yours. The text seems to imply that Solomon has been looking to encounter God, makes this extreme sacrifice and display of worship. God didn't have to respond, but God did. In a dream, God bumps into this new king and asks, what should I give you? Man, what a question. I just want you to pause for a a second and imagine God saying, ask what I should give you. How might we answer that question? How might you answer that question? It reminds me of another story in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, we find this. Jesus and his disciples, they came to Jericho. And as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. And said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, and he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, go your faith has made you well and immediately he regained his sight and he followed Jesus on the way i like this story in conversation with solomon's dream because there are all these parallels and differences didn't even notice till reading it this time this emphasis of son of david right in solomon the son of david Solomon and Bartimaeus seek out an encounter. And both of them are basically asked the same thing. They give answers. and Maybe they are different. Maybe they're not that different. Bartimaeus wants to see again. Apparently he has lost sight. At some point he longs for it back. And he believes that Jesus can do something about it. He wants to encounter Christ because he believes that Christ can do something about it. Do we believe? And what does Solomon ask for? Well, Solomon is a little bit more wordy, like some of us. He goes through a history and some of his own insecurities, but but eventually he says, give your servant therefore an understanding mind. You could translate that wisdom, you can literally translate the phrase in Hebrew as a listening heart. Solomon, in his current situation, chooses the path of his father, his people, his God, rather than his father-in-law. He wants to tune his heart to the ways of God. He wants to see the way things should go. Like Bartimaeus. Solomon sought to see. And let's see what God says. This is back in 1 Kings 3, 10-15. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and not have asked yourself for long life, or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for your self-understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one shall arise after you. I give you what you have not asked. Riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. Verse 14, If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, I will lengthen your life. So Solomon awoke. It had been a dream. He came then to Jerusalem where he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and he offered up burnt offerings, offerings of well-being, and provided a feast for all his servants. So God says, yes. Yes, and I'll give you more than you asked for. And oh yes, here's a bonus. You can also have a long life if you walk in my ways. So he gives the gift of this ability to... Have a listening heart, but also an invitation. Will you walk in my ways? Will Solomon continue as he leads and rules, as pressures come and power grows? Will he choose the way of God or the way of power? Will he choose the way of God or the way of himself? the way of his father or his father-in-law. Throughout Scripture, we find that God's story is one that never sides with the powerful but the weak. Are we willing to follow our Lord humbly in this way, looking for God in encounters with our God in our weakness and challenges? People who are overlooked But we walk in the way of humility, the way of Jesus. When Bartimaeus encountered Jesus, his sight is restored, but then what happens? It says he followed him on the way. He followed Jesus on the way. Early Christians, before they were ever called Christians, were called followers of the way. I love that. That they knew that knowing God and serving Christ was was a call to be part of God's kingdom right now, to turn and encounter God, repent and believe the gospel, and then continue with the good news, walking in the ways of Jesus. They knew that faith was a journey, and that we take it together with our eyes on Christ, and we will have challenges and setbacks and look away, but they could continue to look to Christ. Bartimaeus responds to the encounter, follows through. In Dan Al- uh, Dale Allison's book, Encountering Mystery, there's a variety of stories about God bumping into people, these mystical experiences. And as he studied these stories of people all over the world, he found that, yes, there's this sense of deep and abiding love in these encounters. And that also it leads to some kind of change in the way that people think about their lives, how they live their lives. I'll share one example with you. This is a story of someone's encounter with the divine. One night I was in great distress over a family situation. I cried out to God to help me if he existed. And suddenly God came, not with a clap of thunder or a flash of light, but gently and slowly and almost imperceptibly. He filled the room with his presence until he was everywhere. There was comfort and warmth that was indescribable, The room was love. I was very tiny, and he held me in the palms of his hands, and phrases like the everlasting arms kept coming to me. And I said over and over again, this is what they mean. This is what they mean. And from then on, the purpose of my life became the search for God. God is a God we can encounter. We can look for God, seek to encounter God. God, we can, like Bartimaeus, cry out to God. We can meet God in all kinds of places and circumstances, and then we are invited to respond, to follow through with the dream. We see a change initially in Solomon, right? He was worshiping at a high place. The text says he wakes up and he goes to Jerusalem, where the Hebrew Bible said worshiping should happen for the people The reader would read this and say, Oh, look at him changing. Unfortunately, we learn that Solomon, though wise, also continues some of his unfaithful practices. He goes back to some of that early character we pointed out, and we learn that he will die relatively young for an ancient king. He likely lived to be about 60, according to the text. As Ferdinand Buechner says, Solomon was famous for his great wisdom. There wasn't a riddle he couldn't crack with one hand tied behind him. But, riddle, but wisdom is more than riddles and wise cracks and courtroom technique. In most things that mattered, King Solomon was among the wisest fools who ever wore a crown. He was hardly cold in the grave when revolution split the country in two. From there on out, the history of Israel was almost unbroken series of disasters. These first readers reading Kings living in exiles must have been wondering, how will we live? Will we choose to live like the ways of the God we know or will we respond to this new situation in Babylon? They remember Solomon with every opportunity to build something beautiful, but who eventually would just not walk in the way. That he would eventually build his life around personal success and himself, and it would be his downfall. How often do we have the dream, the moment, the inspiration, but no follow through? Are we willing to choose the way of Jesus to be like Bartimaeus and follow Christ on the way? And we will fail. I fail. But grace abounds. As followers of Jesus, we know that Jesus chose the way of His Father for us. That Jesus responded by bumping into us, coming to earth, dying and rising again, We find ourselves with a new way of living, with a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom that won't fall apart by failures of any human king, but one that is secure by the one who planted the mountains in the earth and the stars in the sky. We can encounter God and we're invited to follow through. So as we close this morning, I want you to imagine yourself as Bartimaeus. You can even close your eyes. You've known deep loss. Others have counted you out, assumed you were beyond hope, told you don't even cry out. No one's listening. Maybe you've even started to believe what others have said about you, about yourself. Maybe that's not so hard for us to imagine. And yet, Jesus calls to you. Standing before the Lord, you can't see Him, but you know. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? So in this moment, Go ahead in silent prayer and answer. What do you want the Lord to do for you? It's okay to ask. And know that his compassion is there as he responds. He cares and he sees. He is the one who makes us well. You can open your eyes. How might we respond to the God who meets us? Maybe you're interested in baptism, this public declaration of following Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you want to serve some way or, or pursue some kind of calling you sense in your life. Maybe you just need to respond with prayer. I'll be in the back after service. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. But I want to give you some tools as we go to, to pray this week. I ask this week that you you would pray for a listening heart like Solomon. Pray to see like Bartimaeus what God is doing and leading. And pray that you might encounter God. Like ask God to show up. Maybe you want to pray that for somebody else in your life too. Do it. And pray how when that happens, You might respond to the God who bumps in to us. Thank you, God, for your love, how you encounter us, how you see us, and how you make us new. Meet us, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work, Through our church, visit bcwc.org.